I want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we gather each Sunday to hear from God through his word. We're going to do that again. Uh, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. Uh, if you ever uh, forget your Bible or don't have one, there are some uh, on the tables on your way in. You're welcome to grab one of those. Uh, another thing I want to highlight is on the table near the Connect desk, we have some pages that are, are uh, study questions, our community group study questions, discussion questions, and those are what we use to guide our time in our community groups. Uh, you're welcome to grab one of those if you're in a group or you can just grab it for your own personal study. Just kind of digs a little bit deeper into the text each week. Um, we're in Luke 5 because we're going to be going through Luke 5 and 6 all the way until Christmas. And uh, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in and see what God has for us this morning. Uh, join with me. Lord, thanks so much for this time. I thank you, God, that again, we get together here. Uh, Lord, we can come uh, in full confidence knowing that you have a word for us this morning. You've given us your word so that we would be uh, equipped and helped and we would know more about you and more about ourselves. Uh, God, I pray that would happen this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me in spite of my own sin, uh, Lord, to be helpful. And God, that uh, you would help to have us uh, give us soft hearts, Lord, open ears to hear what you have to say. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've entitled this message, The Parable of the Cleansed Leper, uh, but you might note, if, if you have your Bible in front of you, that this is not actually a, a parable that Jesus told. Uh, Jesus told lots of parables. Uh, he, there are stories that he told to try to make a point. Usually, uh, they have a double meaning, sort of a meaning for the immediate context, kind of an earthly meaning, but he's telling it so that we would understand some greater heavenly reality. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan is one example. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, but this is not actually a parable that Jesus told. However, there are a few times in the Bible where uh, the Bible itself looks at real-life events and sort of treats them like a parable, like a living parable. So one example is the Exodus story uh, back in you know, Genesis, where, in Exodus, where uh, God's people come through the Red Sea. Uh, they're saved. They're liberated from slavery to Pharaoh. And what we find in the New Testament is that the New Testament writers look back on that and they say, oh, that's actually a picture of how God liberates us from slavery to sin. So they kind of treat it like a living parable. We're going to do that with our text this morning. It's a text that, on the one hand, testifies to the miraculous uh, physical healing power of Jesus. We're going to see a leper who is healed physically. But there's another side. Uh, it's a picture of the deeper, uh, equally real, spiritual healing that Jesus does for those who have faith in him. And so we're going to go through the text and kind of unpack each and look at it from those two different points of view. So to begin with, we're going to read through uh, our text from starting in verse 12. Uh, this is Jesus. He's doing ministry in and around uh, the countryside. And here's what it says. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So that's God's word. Uh, what we're going to do is work through it in actually five parts this morning. So not the regular three. We've got two bonus parts because there's lots in here. So you're, you're welcome. Um, starting in uh, point number one, the first thing we see is this leper. The leper was alive but dead. The leper was alive but dead. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. Here's the first verse again. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. 
Now, we don't have a lot of experience with leprosy anymore. Uh, we often think of it as kind of a skin-rotting disease, but in fact, that's, that's not what it is. Uh, leprosy is a disease which affects the nerve endings of your extremities, so your hands, your feet, your, your face. Uh, you, you no longer feel anything. Uh, your, your body's uh, warning system of pain is destroyed. And so what that means is that the leper ends up uh, hurting himself or herself. They damage their own body by, by picking up uh, burning hot pans or drinking scalding water or, or getting a cut and not realizing that there's a cut there because they feel no pain and it gets infected. Um, sometimes there's even they work too hard and so their, their hands become deformed. Uh, there's, a, there's a few photos here just because we don't see it very often. Uh, these are some of the, this is just like wear and tear on the body. There can be infections that grow and really it deteriorates more and more. Uh, there's a doctor, Dr. Paul Brand, who's worked extensively with uh, leprosy patients, and he describes the condition as a painless hell, because while you feel very little, it, your whole body is just deteriorating. In fact, one of the treatments he gives to leprosy patients, especially in rural areas, is he will always send them home uh, with a cat. And the reason for that is, is that when you're sleeping on the ground, uh, in the, the night, vermin will sometimes chew on a leper's body and they won't even notice it. And so they'll wake up and, and just see that there's been this, a new wound they didn't even realize. Just imagine living like that. That's what this man has lived with. He's full of leprosy, which means that for years he experienced this kind of physical discomfort, even though he feels nothing, but he sees it, he suffers in that way. And more than that, there is a, a social alienation that comes with leprosy. He was, he was said outside of the village or outside of the camp. Uh, we see this, in fact, in, um, earlier in the Word of God in Leviticus. Uh, we see this in Leviticus 13, uh, verses 45 to 46, which says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so this was meant to safeguard the health of the community, but also to, to establish or reinforce this idea that the people of God are, are, are holy, are pure. And so with leprosy, there is, there is a, a social division that happens. There's a real sense in which they've been, they've been um, divided from the people of faith. And so this, this leper is an outcast. In fact, not only an outcast, he is someone that people consider to be essentially dead. That's what we find uh, in, there's a historian, Josephus, a Jewish historian, and he writes about lepers, and he says, in this day, in the time of Jesus, they were treated as if they were dead. People had no concern for them, no regard for them. If there was someone in your family that contracted leprosy, they were, they were basically dead. They were cut off from everyone and everything. That's the immediate truth for this poor man. But it's also true for us. See, this is also a picture of each human being in our, in our sin. That we also are, are decaying and, and corrupt, morally speaking. That we're cut off from God and from the community of faith. The leper was alive but dead, and, and so are we. In fact, we see this in the New Testament. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to a group of Christians, but he's writing to them about what they were like before they came to faith. And so here's what he says in Ephesians 2. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
And so what he's describing there is, is all of humanity as we are born into this world with a sinful heart, meaning we've, we go our own way, we don't honor God, we don't follow his commands or what he says is best, we figure we got this and we're going to go in our own direction. In that, we find ourselves in the state of sin. And that brings the condemnation of death and that brings all of the, the havoc and turmoil that we see in our world. So even though uh, we are alive physically, in our sin, we are spiritually dead. We live, but, but we live out of this spiritual deadness that kind of warps and corrupts everything. In fact, our physical life is really all we have if we are apart from God. We might live for, for 70, 80, maybe 90 years, but then we die. We experience the death that marks us even now. See, the leper, he was not any more sinful than anyone else. But in his physical condition, he was a, an accurate picture of every human being apart from God. That we also are, are decaying inwardly, morally corrupt. Our, our very lives are, are degrading. And, and it's because of our separation from God. It's because of our disobedience. Now, you might say, um, Matt, you know, if you're a believer, you might say, Matt, I, I remember what it was like before I came to faith. I don't know if I felt like dead, like you're saying. You're saying basically I was dead. I don't feel like that. If you're here this morning and you're, you're not a believer, you might say, I don't, I don't feel dead. I, I had a good breakfast. I actually feel pretty good right now. So I'm not exactly sure what, what you're saying. And what we need to, to see is some of the, the helpful uh, correlations here. See, the leper didn't feel bad. Didn't really feel anything. No discomfort, no pain. And that was part of the problem. When you looked at his physical features, though, you saw that there was something wrong. You saw the illness. You saw all the, the decay that was there. For us, it's harder to see because it's generally on the inside. It's when we examine the, the unseen parts of ourselves that we see the same illness, the same deadness. It's in our, in our motivations for things, in the things that we hope in. The, the desires that we have, the thoughts that we have that no one, no one can see, the motivations we have for why we do things. It's in those places that we, we see the, the selfishness, we see the pride, we see the greed, we see the lust. It's in the dark recesses of our lives. That's where our true nature is revealed. And what we find is that even on our best day, we are no more than a, than a well-made-up corpse, morally speaking that we have a deadness that marks us. In fact, it's not even difficult to see on the outside. I mean, if you look at the way that we live, there's lots of things that are, that are best explained by this, this emptiness we have inside of us. For example, like why do we, why do we eat so much? Why do we drink so much? Why do we buy so much stuff? Why are we continually trying to, to fill something within us? It, isn't it because there's something lacking? We sense there's something lacking? Why do we push ourselves so hard? Like, why do we need to achieve? Why do we push ourselves to the expense of our, of our friends and family at times? Is it not that we're, we're trying to get some sense of genuine purpose, some sense of validation? Why is it, why is it so hard for us just to love someone else consistently, consistently selflessly, graciously? It's impossible for us to, to do that. Why is that? There, there's something wrong inside of us. There's something dead inside of us. 
And the truth is we don't know how to fix it. All these things that we're doing, we're trying to compensate and trying to, to deal with it. We don't, we don't know how to fix it. And that's exactly what the leper felt like. For years, he'd been roaming through the countryside, just slowly dying and having no sense of how he could ever be healed. And then finally, he hears about a, a rabbi who healed an entire village. And he thinks, maybe there's hope. But see, for him to come to that place of, of hoping, he first needed to realize that he was, he was truly desperate. I mean, that's what we see in our text. This is the second thing we see. The leper recognized his desperate condition, that he was, in fact, a dead man walking. Uh, look in verse 12. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's very clear that he, he felt there was no hope apart from this moment. That he was, he was going to Jesus and that he was very, very clear about the state of his physical body and his spiritual state. Because notice his language is, um, he doesn't ask to be healed, he has to be cleansed. Make me clean. That word has uh, spiritual significance. It means to be, uh, to be separated from God. It means to be impure. And, and, and the leper recognizes in this state, he, he is far from the community of faith, far from God. We also in our sin are unclean. You see that in the language of, of that passage in, in Ephesians, that, that we are corrupt, that, that we are no longer right with God because of our disobedience. We're just as desperate, but it's hard for us to admit it. It's hard for us to see it. There's a word um, in the way that Mark describes this scene, which I think helps us to understand why we, why we have difficulty uh, embracing a sense of desperation. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all telling sort of the same story, Jesus' birth, la- uh, life, and death, and resurrection, but from different points of view. So here's Mark's take on the same scene, uh, Mark 1, 40 to 41. He says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Now that word pity, I think, is, is helpful for us because... We don't love that word, right? We, no one likes to be pitied. This man came and Jesus looked at him and he, he, he was pitiful. He was totally desperate. He was in complete need. We hate feeling like that. I mean, you hear people say, I don't need your pity. I don't need your charity. I don't need your help. And I'm fine on my own. Because to be pitiful means that, means that you have no sense of self-worth, no self-esteem, no value in yourself. And, and when we hear people like that, what do we tell them? Man, you need to, you need to go like, take a vacation or something. You're too down. Man, don't get so down on yourself. Right? Go get a massage. Go, get, go eat. Go to the gym. I mean, those are good things. A lot of us, we, we should go to the gym. But the point is that, that we tend to mask this real sense of, of desperation that we have. We don't love feeling like that. We don't want people to point it out when we're in real need. We want to ignore it. But the truth is that all of those things are just are masking a real problem. And sometimes the healthiest thing is for us to simply admit that we are really in need, to admit our desperation, and then to find help. My dad told me uh, a story once. He was at a dinner party. It was like a, like a restaurant, big, long table. 
Uh, he didn't know everyone there. He was kind of reconnecting with old friends. And um, there was a, a guy a couple seats over who sort of abruptly during the dinner got up and then quickly left to go to the washroom. And so my dad kind of got up and followed him and found him uh, in the hallway. He was choking, right? And he you know, couldn't be. So my dad uh, did the, the Heimlich and a piece of meat came out of the guy's throat and he, was, <gasps> he could breathe. He was so thankful. Saved his life. We, we should all know how to do the Heimlich. It's very important. But here's the thing. Why did that guy, at the very moment when he needed help, go off by himself? We know the answer. Because he was embarrassed. He didn't want to make a big scene there at the table. Didn't want to, you know, have everyone come. And so he went by himself. We do that. Right? There's all sorts of ways in which we, we are in need. We're desperate. And what do we do? We, we get a tub of ice cream. We go into our room. We don't talk to anyone. Right? We, we could really benefit from other people's counsel. We don't want it. Why? We just want to be alone. We don't want to admit the state that we're in. But see, the leper, he didn't care about any of that. He made a huge scene coming into the city. I mean, him walking in, people would have been, they would have seen him. They would have heckled him. What are you doing in here? You can't be in here. Get out. Right? They would have, they would have been having really snide comments, icy glares, Especially as he came closer and closer to Jesus, they would have been like, what's he doing? What's, he's ruining everything. The leper didn't care. Why? Because he, because he knew how desperate he was. He knew that this was his only chance. And so he came very clear at, at his state and then full of faith that Jesus would be able to help him. He didn't know if he would, but he, know, he knew he, he could. So before we get on to the help, we, we need to ask ourselves, the leper recognized his desperate condition. Do we recognize it? I mean, we, we must, we have to, if we are to be helped. But, but do you see yourself in that way? In the way that the Bible describes you as being, as being dead, without God, if, without faith, as being, having no resources in of yourself to really get the things that you want in life, that you need in life, like lasting joy, re- real peace, Real hope for the future beyond the 80 years that you might have here on this earth. Do you really see your, your frailty in terms of your physical body and your brokenness spiritually? Or do those questions offend you? Like, is it, is it off-putting just to be asked to examine yourself and see the depth of your need? See, the leper was beyond caring about that. He, he recognized, man, I, I need help. And I can't find it anywhere else. And this man, he's healed before. I think he could heal again. That brings us to the third point. The leper had faith in Jesus. Look again at verse 12. Uh, And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. That's the desperation. Then, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, notice he wasn't uncertain about the capability of Jesus. He said, you can make me clean if you want to. Which is interesting because this leper had never met Jesus before. He came full of faith. How, how is that possible? How could he come not ever having met Jesus and yet have, have just a heart full of faith and his ability to do this supernatural thing? See, sometimes when people talk about religion, talk about faith, we, we think of it as blind faith. Right? We just got to believe. Right? There's a lot of things you can't explain in the world. Just believe in God. Then everything's answered. Right? Just believe. That's the answer. It's not what we find in scripture. See, this man believed because of 
clear logic, right? Hard thinking. What, what he knew was that there was a rabbi. He'd heard people talk about him healing an entire village. He had probably heard people firsthand say, look, my, my sister was healed. I was healed. He knew what he had done before. And so he made the, the obvious connection. If he can do this to an entire village and people are talking, I can see them and hear them. He can do this for me. It wasn't blind faith. It was a very logical, thought-out faith. And he came full of it, saying to Jesus, look, I know that you can do this. And for us, it's no different. Thousands of years later, our faith is, is based upon the very same logic that we can see in Scripture what happens when you come to faith in Jesus. And we can see in the community of faith around us what happens when someone comes to faith. We have instances in our church of physical healing. People have prayed, and medical science can't explain it, and yet they're healed. We have even more examples of spiritual healing. That's why baptism is such a great time, a celebration. Because whenever someone is baptized, uh, we ask them to share their story. And we say, what, what was life like before you knew Jesus? And what's life like after? And we want to hear the difference. Because if there's not a difference, then there's not much point in this whole faith thing. Right? Why would we, we do it? There's other things we could be doing on a, even a rainy Sunday morning. But what we find time and again is that there's always a difference. You talk to people around here, especially, I'd, I'd encourage you if you're new, if you're really just checking out what it means to believe, I'd have people share their story. What we find is that there is an increase in peace, in joy. That doesn't mean life is is peachy keen, it means that even in the difficulties of life, we have a sense of, of who we are, of hope that can't be shaken. What we find is that Jesus is the source of all the good that God has for us because of what we see here, because he came to earth and lived the perfect life and then went to the cross to take all the condemnation of sin upon himself and then raising back to life. All of that we see the source of God's blessing, but our access to it comes through trust, comes through faith. We see this also in Ephesians. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The leper came and he wasn't, he wasn't tentative, right? Like he didn't come and say, ah, oh, Jesus, look, I, I don't know. Like I'm in pretty bad shape, but is there, could you do something? Even anything? Could you improve my situation a little bit? That would be great. He didn't say that. He's like, I know you can heal me. Trusting completely, I just don't know if you will. Look, lots of us here have faith. But when was the last time we had faith like that? That this should encourage us to step out in faith, especially when we feel led by God to a certain moment. And a lot of times it's small things, right? A conversation that we feel like we should have and we're a little bit nervous. Maybe a, an example, um, opportunity to serve that's going to, be more difficult than we think or to give or, or to reach out in some way. That, that's always an opportunity where God is saying, you're going to trust me. Trust me in light of what I've already done in your life, in the lives of those around you. Trust me in this difficult time because through faith, we have access to all of the blessings of God. So, the leper had faith in Jesus. So should we. So must we. The fourth thing we see the leper was cleansed by the compassion of Jesus. We see this in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now the healing power uh, would have been evident right there in that moment. 
It would have been astonishing. The, the leper would have, I don't know what it looked like, but there would have been a, a tingling sensation. All the nerve endings would have been healed in his hands. There probably was a, a regrowth of, of damaged flesh, maybe even limbs. It would have been amazing. Everyone would have been astonished. They would have just gasped at the sight of it. But do you know there was something equally astonishing that happened just before the healing? And that was that Jesus reached out and touched this man. No one ever did that. I mean, even people who had family members, loved ones that had leprosy, when they brought help to them, they would bring like a food and they would, they would back away. They'd leave it on a rock and they'd back away. They didn't want to be uh, infected. They didn't want to be unclean. No one had touched this man in years. I mean, just think about that. Never hugged, never a handshake, never a high five, never working shoulder to shoulder with someone. He was completely cut off. Everyone was scared to touch him and not Jesus. And the thing of it is Jesus didn't even need to touch this man. I mean, there's tons of examples in scripture where he, he just says the word. Next week, we're going to look at, he heals a paralyzed man. He just says the word. He says, rise, take up your bed and go home. His life has changed. He could have changed this man's life in the very same way. That's what the man was hoping for, right? It wants to be healed. I want to be cleansed. Jesus could have said, you are clean. You're healed and go. But he, he did more than that because he didn't just want him to be healed. He wanted him to experience the love and compassion of God by human touch. We, we underestimate the value of this kind of compassion. There are many people who feel so isolated from others, from God even. The loneliness can be crippling. There's a story I heard of a, of a pastor uh, commentating on this passage. He, he told about a guy that he was meeting with, sort of counseling, and this man um, confessed that he was just very, very lonely. He didn't have any family, close family, um, not really any close friends. And he said what he, what he did each week was he would go and get a haircut every week because he just he wanted to feel someone touching him in a caring way. He, he just didn't have it any other place. See, some of our deepest wounds, they, they don't bleed or fester. You can't see them on the outside. And a lack of love can cripple us in the most devastating of ways, can harden our hearts, make us bitter or angry. This man could have been that way. He could have turned his back on the people that had turned their backs on him. Could have been angry and bitter towards God. But instead, he, he turned in faith. He hoped that there might be some way that he could be healed and he experienced not just the, the healing of God, but his love and his compassion. And do you see that this is a picture of God's love for us? That, that's part of the reason why it's here in scripture. That we could know that even though we are equally revolting in our sin, honestly, in our moral decay, in our, in our disobedience, in our pride, Jesus has every reason to turn his back on us, but he doesn't. We see here how he treats those who are in sin, regardless of the depth of your sin, regardless of your past, this reaching out, this compassionate touch is God's attitude towards everyone who is in sin. He loves us. Even to the point of, of the cross, Jesus giving of his own life, and there, as the soldiers were nailing him to the cross, what did he pray? He said, Father, Father, forgive these men, these specific men here doing this. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. 
See, his compassion and love, it flowed out of his body just like the blood that ran from his hands. That's, that's how God loves us. The leper was cleansed by the compassion of Jesus, and so are we. So are we, the grace of God. And for those of us this morning, I mean, look, we're in all sorts of different places. I don't know where you are at, but there may be some of us here who are really longing for that sense of, of personal touch and connection. And I hope that you're hearing in the word of God that, that Jesus knows who you are. That this picture is his is what he wants you to feel in terms of his love for you. And I would also say that, that part of the reason that Jesus uh, instituted the church is so that we could be there to, to show the godly compassion he has to each other, that we can be in relationship, that we can know each other's hurts and pains, that we can, I mean, that's why we do community groups, so that we can dig into the word and, and, and grow, but also so that we can care for each other, so that when you're hurting, there's someone you can pick up the phone and, and they'll be there. They'll know you. I'd really encourage you to pursue those kinds of relationships, to experience the compassion of God in the relationship we have with each other. Okay, the fifth thing, last thing. The leper's healing brought glory to Jesus. We see this in the last couple of verses. Uh, verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. It's kind of an interesting, I mean, there's some questions that we would have about this, especially if you know Jesus and you know the, the, the priests there, the scribes and Pharisees. Um, Jesus was not a huge fan of the priests at this point in time. Uh, they, they were generally corrupt. They were not leading people well, not leading people to God. So you have to wonder, why would Jesus tell this man to go show himself to the priest? Well, there's at least two reasons. One, uh, that would have established a public record of the healing so that no one could discount it in the future. But secondly, it would have begun a process of reconciling the man back into the community of God. See, back in Leviticus, right after the part, the sort of prohibitions about leprosy, in Leviticus 14, there was a whole ceremony that God instituted when a leper was healed. It didn't happen very often. But there is a, there's a massive ceremony, a beautiful ceremony filled with symbolism. It would take eight days. And so I want to just for a moment give you the, the Coles note, the highlights of this ceremony. This is what would have happened when this man went to see the priest. First, the priest would meet him outside of the village because he, he didn't yet know if he was, had leprosy or not. He would examine the man. If he established that he was in fact healed, there would be a ceremony that would take place right then and there. And uh, it's, a, it's a crazy ceremony. So he would, he would get two birds and a clay pot, some cedar woods, uh, hyssop, and a scarlet yarn all have significance. He would uh, sacrifice one of the birds into the clay pot over cleared, clean water, symbolizing the, the purity now that this man has. He would dip the bird, the live bird, the, it's crazy, the live bird, the scarlet yarn, the cedar wood, the hyssop into the pot and would, would sprinkle the man with the blood and say, clean, 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 seven times to establish his, his cleanness now. And then he would be welcomed back into the community. But first, he would, he would wash himself from head to toe, wash his clothes, shave his body so that he would be a picture of his cleanness. His family then, his friends then, would welcome him back and they would celebrate for seven days, partying because he, they hadn't even been able to be near him before. Now he was with them. On the seventh day, 
He would shave the rest of his body, his hair, his eyebrows, his beard, so that he would be like a newborn baby, signifying the new life that God has given him, a picture of the resurrection. It was a beautiful, amazing thing, and it wasn't done, because on the eighth day, there would be one final sacrifice, and there the the priest would take the blood of the animal that was sacrificed and would anoint the man on his uh, earlobe, on his thumb, and on his foot, and then would take oil and would anoint him in the same places, And what this would signify is that this this man's new life would now be lived for the glory of God, that he would listen to the voice of God, that in all that he did with his hands, he would glorify God and that he would walk in his ways. And just imagine then the joy of that celebration, that this man who was dead, I mean, everyone considered dead and gone, waiting for them to die physically, but cut off, now was made new, was alive. And everyone would, would celebrate and rejoice the whole picture would glorify God, would talk about the power and grace and majesty of God. And for this leper, there would be an even more personal connection because he hadn't just been healed. He'd been touched. He'd experienced the grace and love of Jesus. So all the fanfare, all the celebration would really testify to the glory of Jesus. And that's why you see in the text in verse 15 that more and more people heard about it and they would come They they wanted to be healed. They wanted to experience the the power of this new rabbi. The blessings of Christ were evident in his life. And the truth of the matter is that the leper's healing brought glory to Jesus and so does ours. We also are healed. I hope you've seen that the picture of scripture, the truth of scripture is that we also are just as desperate, just in need of healing. Through our faith, we are healed and our lives then, our new lives in Christ are meant again to glorify God. The picture of that, of that leper being anointed with the, with the ear and the hand and the foot, we, sh- we should take that to heart. We should recognize that that is how we are to live. I mean, if, if you've been saved here, are, are you living a new life? Or are you living your old life, but just with a few things added? Like you have to get up earlier on Sunday and there's some other things that you, you kind of do to make this Christian thing work. Is, is it like you've, you've grafted in something or are you aware of the fact that you are completely made new? Are you living to glorify Jesus or are you still living for the old glories of the past? See, the only thing worse than a dead person who thinks they're alive is someone who's alive but still living like they're dead. See, we have new life. And so in the way that we live, we have an opportunity to glorify God. And that comes out in the, in the details of our life, right? The things that we, we plan for and hope for. Like, what are our goals in life? Well, someone who's got new life because of God's blessing, we'll, we'll consider the, the teachings of Scripture. We'll, we'll pray about it a lot. We'll say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What goals do we have? What things do we celebrate? How quick are we to be thankful rather than complain? the whole life that we have now. You see, for the leper, I think it would have been easier because as he walked through town, people would have been like, hey, I thought you were, you know, dead, but you're, that's great. Would have been reminded, right? But you're, you're here. Are you allowed to be? You are? Everyone would have been talking about it. He would have been reminded continually also because he all of a sudden could feel things that he couldn't feel before. He, everything he would drink, everything he would taste, he would just be like, oh, this is so good because he remembered what it was like to not have it. See, we forget 
we forget our desperation. But when we come to Christ, we are, we are called to remember. We're called to celebrate. In part, simply to glorify God, but also so that the people around us would see the difference in our lives. So that we would be able to tell others, look, that the reason that I can have peace in this situation, even though everything's crumbling around me, the reason that I have hope is because I, I hope in something greater. The reason that I'm not anxious here is because I have a God who loves me. Like, can, I, can I tell you about him? I mean, that's, that's why as a church, we, we want to make Jesus known because of who he is and what he's done and because of the difference in our lives. And so we, we, like the leper, his healing brought glory to Jesus. Ours does too. We should walk in that. We should live in that, thankful each day because of all that, all that God has done for us. And so my hope this morning is that as we've looked at this, this picture, this living parable of healing that, that has stirred up in us a greater affection for God, or for those who, who don't have faith, maybe a greater interest just in the things of God. How is it that, that the Bible can talk this way and that these people can believe this way? What is it that God is really doing through Christ? So we're going to bow in prayer together and then we're going to respond and rejoice for, for all that God has done. Please bow with me. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for this time. Thank you, God, for this passage, this real life event, for this man whose life was changed. Jesus, it's amazing. I pray that we would also have that same sense of wonder at what you have done in our lives if we have faith. And Lord, for those that don't have faith, I pray, God, that there would be just an interest. Lord, uh, uh, there would be some questions that might be asked. And Lord, that you would indeed lead all of us to know you more and to experience this, this healing power, this cleansing that comes through faith. And I pray also, Lord, that our lives would glorify you. That as we, as we go out into our world, we would see that we have the answer to our, to our essential problem, to the deadness that each human being experiences apart from you. I just pray, Lord, that there will be many opportunities for us to, to share and to truly have compassion for those around us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.